Uh, let us begin and pray this prayer, and then we're going to read this scripture. Today we're in Revelation chapter 17, verse 7 through 18. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation 17, verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mis- I'll, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundations of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the women, woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not come. And when he does come, he will remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who call or those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated, there are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, uh, they and the beast will hate the prostitute and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put her into their hearts to carry out the his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has domination, uh, dominion over the kings of the earth. You guys may be seated. I love uh, verse 7 because it says, I will tell you about what you are seeing. It goes in to say, I'm going to explain to you what you just saw. And uh, that's when I start to get lost in this text a little bit. It's it's confusing. The book of Revelation has challenged me in many ways. And many different texts have really come up. And I've said, I'm not excited to preach this one. And it's just maybe that's what I should have entitled uh, this sermon series. I'm not excited to preach this one. I, I could have, that could have worked, but this is the most baffling text that I've come to because it seems as like, it's like, Hey, here's the explanation, but the explanation is more confusing than the picture that it just shown. And, and I, um, I speak about like not knowing or understanding in revelation. And this isn't out of like laziness or not trying. The truth is, I think that so many people in their laziness and their lack of ability to live into mystery um, come to Revelation to find all these answers and to tell you exactly what everything means. And I don't know if we can do that. But even as we are speaking about this passage today, 
Um, it is a passage that calls for a mind of wisdom. It, it says this in the text, but we have to be able to under we we have to be able to understand what God wants to speak to His people, and yet understand that God is God, and that He would stand outside of space and time, and uh, stands outside of our understanding. And so we get to concentrate on what is He going to say to us. There are times uh, before I was ever a preacher where I'd go and I would listen uh, to the sermons. And um, how many of you guys have done this? Please raise your hands. But how many of you guys have, like, you've heard the text and then you just check out? Amen. Amen. Because I'm right there with you. And I know that, like, preaching is an important part of what we're doing. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit uses Scripture differently in everybody's life and at different time. And God's word is alive and is more powerful than we could ever imagine. And there are places where God has us as a church and individually. But the truth is, God just wants to speak to our hearts and shape our lives. Amen. And I come to this text, as I come to this text, it reminds me how much we can't know, how much is beyond us, and how much help we need from the Holy Spirit primarily, but also who people who have thought about text like this deeply and I would say um, without an agenda they just come to it going God what do you have here maybe it's because I'm uh, I don't know maybe I'm simple or I lack imagination or knowledge but on this explanation I needed a lot of help in this text a lot of help and as I searched and I read through commentaries I do this every week and some of them you come to them and they're like I'm an expert in this I will tell you exactly what this means and I find that those people are not all that helpful. At least they're, um, they're not, I don't look at them as very expert. I look at them as very opinionated, which is, which is fine. They can have their opinion, and, and that doesn't mean on the next section they won't be helpful. But this week, um, uh, I, well, when I, when I see those preachers, I, I wonder, like, how can you know the mind of God that's going to happen in the future so like intimately, it strikes me as odd. But this week, I am, am truly indebted to uh, one book in particular that I have. Um, it's a book by Pablo Richard. And uh, he's a Chilean priest who has a unique view on Revelation that I find uh, very refreshing. And his book is called Apocalypse, a People's Commentary to the Book of Revelation. And uh, honestly, the points, I, I normally don't do this. Like I, I go, God, what do you have for us? And so I feel like I need to explain a little bit. But these points I lifted right out of his book, because as as I said, like this text confuses me. And as he was making these points, I don't I don't quite understand exactly how he got to where he got, but I think like his points really ministered to my soul and I'm praying that they might minister to us. And he suggests that in this section, there are three movements and three stages. And that's what we're going to look at today. Three movements and three stages. So movement one is existed once, but now exists no longer. If you guys noticed in this text when we read it, the language that is used for the beast is close to the language that we use for God. Except for God, we say, who reigns forever and ever and always will be, who was and is and is to come. Um, that this is the one who was but no longer exists. This is the opposite of the prayer that we pray. This is the opposite of how uh, we feel about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as they were in the beginning, are now and will be forever. And yet, the beast in his power has a time limit. 
And this should give us strength. It is no longer. So at one point, it will end. The seven heads that are suggested here are to represent seven kings of earth. Five have fallen, and uh, the sixth is ruling. And when the seventh is in, he won't last long. And and he won't last long in that. And we've said several several times during the sermon series that the number seven is the number of perfection or the number of completion um, in a... uh, metaphorical way in each civilization if we think about it this way each civilization has built upon the one who precedes it or at least um we've seen it this way right and we think that like each civilization does it just a little bit better right and so we can think of this as in the same thing with the the seven kings we don't know exactly who they are but they've been building and then they've been trying to progress and they've been trying to to go on and on and when when we look back at it historically in hindsight we can recognize some imperfections that we've had and then correct them and think that our society is better and as civilizations we have made much project progress um, to many areas of living like i would say this i prefer running water and toilets to houses um, that don't have running water and toilets any day amen we can we can say that that is something that we're like whatever society created that praise be to god for that it is a beautiful thing and so um, but then we can also say like i would prefer the abolishment over slavery over against its legal existence Right. I mean, just having it be abolished and having the world recognize, hey, it's wrong. Like this is a beautiful thing and it still exists today. And we know that. But at the same time, just the world recognizes that it's wrong. It's built upon its past mistakes. And I would prefer um, nations with individual rights. Um, For example, uh, Cambodia, it's its own nation. I would love for it to work as its own nation, work for its people, keep its borders and uh, the United Nations does a good job at like making individual rights it's way better than colonization where you would just have small countries come in and say this is how you do things they get to be themselves and they get to have their own um cultures and all that stuff so we've made some progress and we recognize as well like we can just say not even in humility in reality that there's some more progress that needs to be made But here, what this text is suggesting is that government and leaders are trying to reach perfection. They're trying to reach perfection. They are trying to get to the number seven, to become the greatest mankind has ever seen. And most, we learned a couple weeks ago when we looked at like the cult of government, and this is in the same same section, that, that they want to be worshiped as if they're the best. And yet, when you look back, you can see their imperfections and um, and try and get there. Improvements have led us this close, and they've led us closer and closer to perfection. And yet, we can see from this text that apart from Christ, perfection is simply not obtainable. It is not obtainable. What once what existed once, but now exists no longer. And this striving for perfection is not obtainable. It's completely out of reach. Uh, Ecclesiastes would call it a chasing after the wind. And the beast is in, in an empty pursuit that only leads to frustration and confusion, or maybe even disillusion because people still follow him. And they're like, oh, maybe that is the way for the people that the beast is leading. Perfection, we can learn this. Perfection is only to be found in Christ. And that is one more reason that we get to rely on him and him alone. And we need wisdom to hear this for our hearts. 
as we strive for holiness, we're not going to be perfect because Christ is our perfection. But we live with the knowledge that perfection is out of reach. That's the knowledge that we get to take away from this. That perfection is out of reach and we need a Savior. Amen? Movement two is it will come up from the abyss. And this second movement is, is quite simple, actually. After the seventh and the eighth, the, after the seventh, the eighth will come up from the abyss and from its depths. If the seventh is perfect, the eighth is making an attempt at more than perfect. It's being like, oh, you think that's perfect? Watch, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to try and one-up you. I'm trying to get over that. And evil will keep trying to raise its head and prove that it is the right way. It's unrelenting in this. It doesn't relent from its pursuit to tear us down and destroy us. And this is supposed to lead us into the next movement. But we get to see that even when one, that one is defeated, more will rise. And have we ever wondered uh, why the sins and evils in our own lives, like we squash one, but then like God's working on us in another area? Or God's like, or you deal with, say, pride or lust, and you're like, and the God's like, yeah, but there's more there. There's more there to get at. And it just keeps raising its ugly head. And that has to end. That has to end. It has to end because evil can't continue. And it will end because we know that it existed once, but it will now no longer exist. And with that, we move to movement three. Because the beast that was, that existed and no longer exists, it will come up from the abyss and it is headed for destruction. It is headed for destruction. And we will see the destruction of evil once and for all. And this is getting us ready for that day. It's a beautiful thing. It's meant, I believe, to get us excited and to pray for that day. May it come. May it come soon. Jesus, we want your return. We want to see you face to face. We want to see this day when we are totally free from the confines that evil puts over our eyes. Right now we see dimly, but one day we will see Jesus face to face and um, we will see him forevermore. The beast wants us to think that the fullness of perfection in history doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from some other way. And that's simply not true. It is full of emptiness and frustration when we follow the beast. And, the, and when, when I say the beast, let me be clear. I'm talking about idols because we've seen that last week. I'm talking about rulers who don't follow or acknowledge Jesus. I'm talking about anything that doesn't put Christ first. It is full of emptiness and frustration, and we can only find our fulfillment in Jesus. That's the only place we find perfection and wholeness. Amen? And we have seen, and John has shown us, the power of the beast to come and devour and destroy. It has tried to be perfect, but it could never obtain perfection because they denied Christ over and over and over. Then in the form that Revelation's storytelling of evil defeated and Christ triumphs continues over and over. We've been shown in many ways that the beast power is meaningless. But as we look a little further, we can see just how pitiful the beast really is. And so with that, we get into the first stage. And this is verse 12 and 12 and 13. And I'll read that for us real quickly. And the ten horns that you saw are the ten kings who have 
not yet received royal power, but they are but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand their power and authority to the beast. And in this stage, we see the beast gives its authority to its the ten kings. These kings will rise with the beast for one hour, and in that time, we don't know if it's literal one hour, right, or metaphoric. We know it's a short amount of time. Because it's not a day, it's, it's a short amount of time. It's one rotation of the sun. That's it. They will have reign with the beast for one hour. And in that time, in the one rotation of the sun, in that time, they hand their power back over to the beast and decide with the beast that it would be an absolutely good idea to wage war against the lamb. That's what they do. These kings show us the emptiness of their pursuits. They have completely given themselves over to the lies of power and influence by submitting to evil ways. They've allowed idols to be their gods. And although they have seen great power from the king of kings who is on the throne and from his lamb, they want nothing to do with that type of power. They heard that to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you need humility, that you need reliance on Christ and one another in this context. You need grace instead of works. You can't earn it. You just receive it freely. And they'd rather exalt themselves than look, look to anything greater than themselves. They'd rather rely on themselves for work and to work for favor instead of simply receiving it. And these kings finally are given their power and their power is fake because it isn't even the beast to give. He's giving them fake power. And they, if we can see it here that they are kingdomless kings, they are kings with crowns and no one to rule. It's false power. They're a crown without a people and they are 100% totally empty and ineffective in what they're trying to do. But they finally obtained their rightful place in their minds. And this is a perfect example of the idolatry of power. This exists in our world. Power and influence. I use those synonymously. Last week we saw that idols demand blood. The blood of their victims. They feed off of it. And empty idols leave us empty because all they do is take from us. And when a human gains power, what do they normally do? They use that power to have to subject people underneath them. There are very, very few examples in history where somebody had really great power that just simply only used it for good. And in this power, it will destroy relationships and it'll turn us into oppressors. Yet, however, when we walk with Jesus, when we give our power over to Jesus, Jesus is different in the way that he uses power. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He came with humility. He set aside his power so many different times in scriptures that we can see. Even when he was about to go to the cross, he could have called down legions of angels to fight for him. And he set aside even that right to willingly go to the cross for you and for me. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful, uh, according to the world, it's, it's not understandable the way that Jesus used power. A life with Jesus flips worldly power on its head. Our power actually comes from our our weakness. And this is a hard thing to admit, and it's harder to live out. 
But yet, let us live into the weakness that we have. The alternative is our own power, and we can see that our own power leads to destruction. I love it because we don't worship power and influence. If God gives us all the power and influence or gives us absolutely none, we still get to worship him. We know and acknowledge that true power comes from service in the form of, the, in the form of doing these things to the least of these. For the least will have, the least will be the greatest. And power is like being a king without a kingdom. In other words, power is fake. And along with the fakeness, it will destroy us and those around us. This is the great idol of power. And we can see what it's really like when it's stripped down. The second stage then is verse 14. And verse 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. The second stage is a great reminder. Always is the text, the text is reminding us that God will win. How many times have we seen this? That God will win. Over and over, he's reminding us the lamb, the cute, fluffy, weak looking sheep that was once slain will conquer once and for all. And I pray that we may not forget this. Those who are with the lamb are called chosen and faithful. So let us be reminded that we get to remain faithful because the lamb will conquer. We get to hold on to God's promises that they are true and they are beautiful. And I pray for us in this that we may hold on to our faith and our hope and our love because it looks like these things that we believe are powerless and yet they are victorious. I was asked this week, I, uh, Josiah and I went to a, a train place and I played this, this guy's a musician and I played, played one of my songs for him. And he asked me this week, um, he said, uh, the people that you wrote the song for, do they actually need to hear this song? Do they actually need words or could you have just played music? And I thought about this question actually. It was, a, it was honest. He wasn't asking it to be an antagonist or anything like that. He was actually asking it very sincerely. And so I thought about it. And the next time I see him, I'm going to say the answer is yes. The, the words do need to be there in this song. And yes, because we do need to hear these words. We hear that Jesus is victor over and over and over. We hear that Jesus will conquer over and over and over. And we need to be reminded. The more we are reminded, the more we can rest in the certainty of these truths. That Jesus is our victory. That following him in spirit and in truth and worshiping him as the truth, the way, and the life, that we can do that, that that is the right way to live. That's the way that we get to live. It's not always, it doesn't always look the best and we don't always get to see everything, but we get to be reminded over and over and over again, even until the end, that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let us use wisdom and hear and believe that Jesus will conquer. Let us hear and believe that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I pray that we may hear and, and believe and have our faith renewed and strengthened. This, the third stage is verse 15 through 18. 
says, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is, where the prostitute are seated are people in multitude and nations and languages and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. In this third stage, verse 15 and 18, in this third stage, we can see that the nations are lining themselves up for war. They're getting ready to go to war. There's eternal conflict, and that conflict is dealt with hate instead of forgiveness. In that, in that they're getting ready for its own final destruction. It eats itself up before it even gets to Jesus. And they will have all their power. They give all their power to the beast and set their final stage for battle. The beast and the worshipers of the beast will see the flaws of the idols. And that's what the the great prostitute and they will destroy their idols with their false power in, in a way that they think will be effective. And it's not because they don't give themselves over to Jesus again. They know they're defeated and they want to blame somebody before they get their own. My prayer this week is that we may have a mind of wisdom. That we may have a mind of wisdom. Wisdom that, it, that is okay in saying, I can't know everything or the full mind of God, but I'm going to still see what he has for me here. I've been praying also that we may find rest in the fact that Jesus wins. That Jesus will conquer. He conquers Satan. He defeats our, the beast and our idols. He also conquers sin, our sin, and the sin of the world. He also conquers sickness. And he invites us to pray for healing. And this healing will be eternal. But he also wants it for us now, in the here and now. Jesus knows that it is hard to live in a world that is full of po- false power. He did it. there are effects that he wants to clear up. He wants to clear up and take the blinders off so that we may be able to live in weakness and in that be fully walking with Jesus. So grace and mercy church, let us live as wise. Let us give up our ways and follow Jesus with everything that we have because we know that he is the victor. So Jesus may this come true in our lives, in our church and individually. In Jesus' name, amen.